Good morning. It is so good to be here with you this Sunday morning. As a kid, maybe you were a little bit like me. The worst thing I could possibly imagine in the whole world, growing up to become just like my parents. As an adult, I've learned that's not so bad of a thing. But it first hit me that I was becoming my dad when I was 18 and I was living in Germany. And the host family I was living with had a small little garden and a compost and they were talking about getting chickens. And I got really excited. I said, well, if you're going to have chickens, you need a really good compost so you can feed them all the worms. And for about three or four days, I went out and I began to prepare their compost, piling it a little higher, turning it, watering it, making sure it was a really healthy compost. And it was about the third or fourth day when all of a sudden I realized I'm just like my dad. And at the time, I was mortified. Just earlier this week, I received a text message from one of my closest friends growing up, and he just recently bought a house, and he said, now that we own a house, we feel like the next step in adulting is learning how to compost. Where do I start? And the fact that not only do I have this love of gardening and composting, but people look to me for advice. <laughs> I am just like my dad, and that's not so bad. Today, as we get into Scripture, we're going to see Jesus use a story about soil and the quality of soil to demonstrate what His kingdom is like. It's one I'm sure you've heard before and you're probably familiar with. But maybe, just maybe, today you'll hear something brand new. Something you haven't considered or thought about, at least recently. So here we go. We're going to begin in Matthew Chapter 13. If you would like to follow along in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1020. If you brought your own Bible or you want to use your phone, you can follow along that way too. Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now we're, we're going to back up just a little bit before this. You see, Jesus begins telling this story in a context of a whole lot of turmoil. In fact, there's some pretty bold accusations made about Jesus right before he tells his story. You see, if you go back to chapter 12, there's a man who is injured on the Sabbath. He wasn't injured on the Sabbath, it just happens to be the day of rest. The day that is wholly set apart for the Lord. And Jesus comes to heal this man, and people get really mad. How dare you do such a thing? 
How dare you work on the Sabbath? Don't you know that healing is work? That man should wait until tomorrow. And Jesus, he challenges the people of God. He says, don't, don't you know that this is good and we should do that which is good for the sake of others on a holy day of rest? And it makes everybody incredibly mad. In fact, it says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And then Jesus, he quotes from Isaiah about how they just won't get what God is doing. And they come against him again, this time as he's casting out a demon from a man who's possessed. And they say, well, the only way you can cast out demons is because you yourself are from the devil. And therefore, they listen to you. And again, Jesus rebukes them. Finally, a third time, trying to get him to stop, they bring his mother and his brothers, who I can imagine at one point were mortified, like, what are you saying, Jesus? What are you doing? Don't you see the trouble you're going to cause? And they say, look, your brothers and your mother, they're looking for you. And in the culture of honor, the most important thing to do would have been to stop what he was doing to attend to his mother and his brothers. And once again, Jesus just kind of dismisses it. And he says, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? You guys, my disciples, those who are listening to what I have to say, they are my brothers. So why should I stop? And it's in this context that we begin this story Jesus teaches. It says, that same day, Jesus begins to teach. While everybody has it fresh on their mind, how Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, how he is not one possessed by demons, but has power over them, how he is one who sees his mother and his brother in the same light as everyone else. With this offense in their heart, he begins to speak. He says, let me tell you a story about a farmer who went and scattered seed. How many of you in here are subsistence farmers? None of you? Now, you may have a garden that you really enjoy or a small homestead that provides some of your means, but my guess is some of you in the last month have gone to the grocery store for something at some point. Is that a fair assumption of some of you? And others have sent your significant other to the grocery store because you don't go there. That's, that's not your thing. We live in a culture in which food is plentiful. We can have an abundance of it all the time. And because of that, sometimes we read this story in a very different light than those who first heard it. Jesus describes a sower who goes out and just scatters seed recklessly. He just tosses it, and some lands on a path, and some lands in the rocks. And any good farmer knows you got to take the rocks out of the dirt, otherwise there's not a lot of room for the roots to grow. And some lands among the thorns, and you know you got to weed it, you got to tend it, you got to you really take care of the dirt. What are you doing? And some lands on good soil and produces a harvest. And Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I imagine everybody listening just going, what? What does this have to do with anything? In fact, the disciples themselves get a little confused. And that's where the story picks up in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
Jesus acknowledges the confusion his disciples are feeling by saying, you guys have been given an invite to know things others don't. But for them, it's hidden and it's separate. As we prepare for Christmas in this season of Advent, we are looking forward to a king who's come. A king for you and for me. A king who can reign and rule in this life and all life forevermore. And we're preparing ourselves to receive this king. So I mentioned last week that over these few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to be looking at what exactly is it we're hoping for when we hope for a king to come. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses this language time and time again to describe what the king and the kingdom is like that we're hoping for. He regularly says the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. This is what it's about and how it works and what you look for. Here he connects this parable of the seeds being scattered to the kingdom of God. And we see the disciples sort of like, yeah, that still doesn't really track Jesus. What are you talking about? We're kind of lost. So he continues and explains it, beginning in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Well, that clears it up, right? Jesus says it's really simple. There's these four different types of soil. The one who hears it and doesn't understand it, that's the one where the enemy just snatches it away. And the one who receives it but has no foundation when things get hard, they fall away. And one hears it and loves it and they want it. But then, obviously, there's things that distract them and pull them away. But for the one, it's fruitful soil. Perhaps you've heard this parable before. And perhaps you've heard it said, this is you and me. Our hearts could be fertile soil, but first we have to remove the distractions. First we have to really dig deep so that when things get hard, we know that God is faithful. We have to learn and study and understand so that we're not like the seed on the path. Perhaps you've heard this parable and you've thought, where is my heart? Am I in a good place or not? Will I bear fruit or not? But unfortunately, I imagine Jesus' disciples heard Jesus' answer and were just as dumbfounded as they were before. 
Because everybody knows when you're planting seeds that a path in a rocky garden and a thorny area is a, a terrible place to plant seeds. Why would you even plant them there to begin with? In fact, in a culture where food was your life, and what you grew was the only way you got it, and if you didn't grow it or raise it, you begged or pleaded or died, you did not just carelessly throw your seed where you thought it was not going to survive. You carefully planted that seed in places you had already prepared, in places you had already worked, in places you knew this is ripe and prime for growth. But Jesus, describing his kingdom, is not talking about the state of our heart and whether or not we've done the work to prepare for what God is doing. He's talking about his kingdom, his reign, his rule, the things he's up to as a king over all the universe. He says, my kingdom is like a sower who goes out and does this and completely recklessly wastes all of this perfectly good opportunity in places that will never produce fruit. And for Jesus' disciples and those who heard, that would have been so utterly offensive. Why would you waste your most precious resource? Why would you scatter it knowing it's not going to bear fruit? What are you doing? But this, for you and me, is a great hope in this season of Advent. See, Jesus is not teaching about what we need to do in our hearts to be prepared and ready for the things God wants to give. No, this whole story is about what He is doing regardless of our hearts. Regardless of how hard-hearted and broken and distracted and discouraged and how far we are, God is still doing something. Specifically, His word of hope, His word of life, His word, the good news that Christ is for you and for me. He freely gives, even to those He knows will not receive it. See, the kingdom that we long for is not a kingdom reserved for those who have carefully cultivated hearts, who have removed all the distractions and all the weeds and all the burdens and all the heavy laden things on their life. It's not a kingdom for a small few. It is a kingdom for those who are far off, for those who are sinners in desperate need of grace, for those who are in the throes of addiction and have no idea how to change for those whose marriages are falling apart and it actually seems to be good to leave the one you're with, for those whose lives are in shambles, distracted by all the cares of this world and all the needs of this world and all the opportunities of this world. It's for these people Jesus has come. And the thing I love about this story and this promise for you and me is this kingdom of God, His reign in this world is truly for the least of these, those least deserving. Which, if you're anything like me, 
That's certainly me. And this kingdom of God is for those who cannot on their own accord heal their broken hearts. Who cannot work and strive and make themselves ready for what God is doing. But the beautiful thing is, in the midst of all of that brokenness, God is already, like this sower, actively at work. Knowing that for many it won't take root, but for some it will produce a hundred or sixty or thirty fold. As we prepare for the coming of Jesus, as we center our hearts in this King whom we long for, there's really, really good news for you and me. Whether or not you're ready, Jesus is coming. Whether or not you're worthy, Jesus is coming. Whether or not you know how much you're loved, He still gives you more and more love abundantly. And so this Advent season in the midst of all of our woes and all of our burdens in the midst of all of our distractions in the midst of all of our confusion and lack of understanding, all of these things, you and I can hold on to hope. Hope that Christ has come and is coming again for sinners like you and like me. Hope that He will do a good work in us. That His Word will take root and bear fruit, producing in us all sorts of faith to trust the things we don't understand when life gets difficult to have an anchor to hold to, when distractions arise, to know where to focus our attention. Not by our works, but what this reckless sower and this reckless king is freely doing for every one of us. So as we long for this king to come, I invite you today to simply invite this king who's coming. Do as you wish with whatever I've got. I promise he will never disappoint. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you do not reserve your word and your promise and your goodness for those who have life figured out. You do not reserve it for those who have stood the test of time and come out stronger through all trial and tribulation. God, you do not reserve it for those who have put aside every distraction and every longing of this world. God, you freely give this good news and this promise to every one of us. When we are least ready and least willing and least able, you are at work carefully tending that which is broken and healing and mending that which needs repair. So God, we confess to you today that we desperately seek a King who will seek us out at all costs who will give His most precious resource, His very life, that we may bear fruit and be filled with peace. God, we pray today for those who grieve. Would you bring comfort? 
for those this Christmas season who desperately need hope, would you give us hope? For those whose lives are a mess, who struggle to understand, who are far from you, would you continue to show them how far you'll go, how much you'll give for their sake? And God, may we be a church in whom you bear much fruit, in whom you remove the things that need removed and strengthen what is weak, that all of our days we can declare your glory and sing your praise. So now, Lord, we pray together as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am impressed at the number of Star Wars Christmas-themed outfits you're wearing and the number of cat-themed outfits you're wearing. I'm also quite impressed by the boldness of those who wore their Tennessee sweater for their ugliest Christmas sweater. Uh, and the bravery of those who wore their Alabama sweater. So it's so good to be here with all of you. For the last several years, we have made a point, wherever we are, whether in the mall or in the movie theater or here, to always seek to use whatever space God gives us to connect with the community and to serve in fun and inviting ways. Once we moved into this building, we sought to ask the question, how can we both connect with the community and serve the community and also generate some income that helps us sustain our future for the long haul? Next week, you're going to hear uh, something shared about a way that in the coming year, we're going to seek to sustain our future differently than we have previously. But today, I want to share briefly with you some of the things we've done in this building And some of the things we know God will do wherever we go from here. Here in this building, we've been able to do all kinds of cool things, such as host various concerts like the Big Ears Festival, the Appalachian Sessions Live uh, TV show that has their Christmas special coming soon. So that'll be kind of neat to see the point there on TV. Uh, We've been able to host all kinds of other fun and exciting things, uh, such as the Merrymakers Market an invitation to the community to come in and celebrate Christmas with a whole lot of fun. We've been able to renovate spaces like the tap room upstairs that we could host all kinds of wedding showers and birthdays and parties and even create space for a marketing firm to use this building day in and day out to connect with the community. We've also been able to use this building through our West Fifth Studios and create space for artists who may or may not be connected to the church and connected to God to come in and do art and connect with us and God in this place. We believe that wherever God leads us in the future, be it here or someplace else, we will continue to find creative ways to go out of our element to invite the community in. Say, come and be a part of what God is doing here. And we believe that in doing this, it will help us sustain our future for the long term. So if you weren't with us the last couple of weeks and you're curious, what is all this Cultivate Community stuff? 
As we end the year, we are seeking to end the year raising $50,000, half to cover the increase in rent that we had uh, this year, and half to help us uh, begin to prepare to find a long-term home as a church, a place where we can continue to invest in our community and our neighbors for a long time to come. As I mentioned, we may be in this building, but we may leave. We're not sure what our landlord will do in the future. So if you are a part of the church and you call this your church family, and you would like to help us reach that goal of raising those, money, that, those funds, or if you'd like to help us reach the goal of 100% participation, uh, then one way you can do that is through a gift in cash or check in the black boxes as you exit today. If you prefer to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love because we already had it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite your questions, and usually as volunteers we gather in the morning, and I ask the question, who wants to do that with me? And it's like all shifty eyes, like don't make eye contact, he might pick me. And today Travis quickly volunteered, I would love to help, so welcome Travis. Yeah. So you can text in your questions and I'll do my best to respond. Travis, what questions came in today? Okay. Um, we have a few. We had a couple. First one, were frogs riding camels in the video? That little graphic did almost look like frogs. I think it's just animated people that are very cartoonish. But it did look a little like frogs, yeah? Okay. Everything's a safe question. Um, how should I interpret Paul's commandments about women in 1 Corinthians specifically? 1 Corinthians 11, 5, verses 5 through 16, saying women should women have to cover their heads and pray. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35, saying women should remain silent in church seem misogynistic. It would seem very misogynistic from our culture today and the lens through which we see things. Uh, so it's important when we read Scripture to say what was the context in which he was writing. And at the time, there was this movement of some pagan females those who were worshiping all kinds of gods that said, we don't need the system, we don't need authority, we can do whatever we please. And oftentimes these women, part of the way they would buck the system was in their promiscuity, they would keep their heads uncovered as a sign, like I am here and I'm available for anyone who's interested. And so when Paul writes, women should keep their heads covered, he's not writing a statement for all of time, he's writing in a cultural context in which to have your head uncovered was a sign of not only promiscuity, but also a sign of embracing total freedom to worship and do whatever you want and worship whomever you want, which is not what we as Christians believe. We believe that all of our life is in submission to Jesus, and so therefore anything that's creating division and problems we should put aside and separate from. Anything that makes us uh, have the appearance of being just like all of the non-Christian world, we should perhaps say that is unhealthy. So when he speaks of women being silent, these same women were also philosophers who were speaking all kinds of things in the name of truth that were often wildly untrue. So Paul is not saying women should never have a voice and should be silent. He's speaking in a context that says, just because you have freedom in Christ does not mean you should do everything the world is doing. 
You should still live with a sense of honor and dignity in submission to Christ in all that you do. So there's the brief answer. We can talk a whole lot more about that if you'd like. Let me know and we'll grab coffee. Okay. Um, next question is 1 Corinthians 7 verses 12 through 14 says that an unbeliever who is married to a believing spouse is made holy through their belief. Does that mean that these non-Christian spouses do not need to be baptized or believe in Jesus to get to heaven? No. Uh, I would say what that means is Paul is writing again in a context where most people were not Christian. And those who were Christian did not grow up that way, and so they probably were already married and already in relationships with people that were not honoring the Lord. And there's a temptation when we follow Jesus to say, well, therefore I should reject everything that came before, and I should leave my spouse, and I should pursue Jesus. And Paul says, no, 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 your marriage is still good and honorable, and perhaps in the way that you love and you serve and you commit yourself to Jesus, your spouse will be made holy. Because we all become like the people around us. And so if you're married to somebody and you become a Christian, don't leave them. Simply be a really loving spouse who serves and sacrifices as Christ does. And maybe through that they will see what you're doing and they themselves will come to see what God is doing in you and in them as well. Now, as a brief warning, sometimes that's used today, 2,000 years later, out of context, where most of us grew up in Christian culture, even if not in the church, and even if not Christian ourselves, most of us know this, and so sometimes that's used to justify, therefore, I can date somebody who maybe isn't Christian or isn't in the same place as I am with my faith, and therefore, it doesn't really matter, and I'd say that's actually dangerous. If you're not yet in the relationship of marriage, you still have time to not make the wrong choice. And it will save you a lot of heartache if you and your spouse or future spouse are on the same page with faith. So if you're already married to somebody who is not a Christian, great. Pray for them, serve them, love them, care for them, and hopefully through that, God will begin to change them. Or at least change the way you see them while they're not yet who you hope they will be. hope that helps. Um. We have one more question and then a sort of comment. If someone watches live stream, when will they be able to watch again? Should be able to watch now. Uh, we were having all sorts of technical issues this morning, so if live stream wasn't working, uh, sorry about that. We'll see about fixing it. It should be available every week at thepointknocks.com or at livestream.com slash thepointknocks. I was told this morning it's not been on Facebook lately, and we'll look into why that is and try to rectify that, but... Hopefully you can join us in person or online every week. And then our final thing, it's a compliment for the band, saying, our band surely must be God's unofficial Christmas pep band. They know how to make us feel good. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's really hard to not dance when they're playing. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate that. All right. Excellent. Well, as always, every week, I leave you with this benediction. So before you go today, a quick announcement. Yesterday, there was a cookie exchange with some of the ladies here at the point, and there's a bunch of those cookies still in the back by the coffee. Please snag one before you go, so that way my kids don't insist on them coming home with me. All right? We still have two big trays of them from yesterday's cookie exchange that my kids are going to be begging me to eat already. Second, we have a little photo booth over here. If you dressed really, really ugly, or you did not, and you would still like to join in the photo fun, 
please head on back there before you go and get your picture taken. Emily's there to take some pictures and we would love it. Oh, Samantha's there to take your picture. Even better. She's the one wearing the, the ugly Christmas cat. It's great. Yeah. All right. Now as you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.